Welcome to the Becker's ASC podcast. My name is Alan Condon, and I'm a writer reporter at Becker's Healthcare. I'm joined today by Kathy McHugh, an administrator at Europartners Surgery Centre in Des Plaines, Illinois. It's a pleasure to have you join us today, Kathy. Could you just please take a moment to introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background? Well, hi. I'm. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I. Um... I'm a registered nurse. I started out um, years ago as a ICU nurse and uh, slowly worked my way into PACU, into the OR, learning all phases of a surgery center. And uh, for the last about 20 years, I've been ASC. So I truly enjoy it. I love um, the ability to run a whole operation, but on a smaller scale than a hospital. And it's a better way to provide excellent patient care um, because we are smaller than a big hospital. That's fantastic. Well, on that note, uh, to kick things off, I'd like to hear a little bit about where your ASC is today and and how it has changed since the onset of the pandemic. So um, in some ways, ironically, the pandemic has helped us because we are specifically urology with a little bit of pain and uh, Europartners has about 60 physicians and we have on site at our center a liptotriptor which is a machine that breaks up kidney stones. So many patients with the onset of the pandemic did not want to go to hospitals. So we never closed and we did many type of urgent uh, emerging cases here, kidney stones, dent replacements, uh, a lot of pain, uh, pain cases related to the kidneys, some prostate cancer, uh, bladder cancer. So a lot of those type of procedures where patients don't want to sit and wait and let the cancer just keep growing. So we were able to accommodate them with those sort of things. So we did, you know, we did about 50% of our normal volume during the pandemic, but since we were allowed to bring in um, elective cases again, we have went from about two, our normal volume prior to the pandemic was like 250, 275. We, for the month of June now, we do close to 400 cases. So this has really helped us Certain doctors that didn't come here a lot came because the hospitals were closed, um, their ORs, and uh, they realized what an efficient operation we had. So we kept those physicians, and uh, we have been doing just so many more surgeries, um, which we have loved. Um, what One of the big differences is there's so much prep work before a patient is is even allowed to step into the the center. Um, Illinois Department of Public Health requires everyone to have a COVID test 72 hours prior to their test. So, you know, we set up our own, we do our own COVID testing here and we send it to a lab in Texas um, and we get the results back within 24 hours. So we are able to meet that mandate uh, presented by the state. Um, we used to have our front desk call all the patients for the pre-op. 
um, to give, you know, what time to get here, MPO after midnight, those sort of things. But now we're having the nurses do the calls because we do another COVID screening the day before to make sure we're not bringing an active COVID patient here. They get a COVID a questionnaire upon arrival. Every patient has to have a mask on. Families aren't allowed in anymore. They wait in their cars. Um, but the we do have a system called case tabs here. So we're able to text a family member, your whoever, a family member or significant other. They went into the OR, we text them. We text them when they come out of the OR. We let them know when they're ready to be discharged. So we are able to keep up that communication that in previously they sat in the waiting room and a nurse would come out and tell them. So now we're doing that by text. That's really new. Um, we have a new uh, type of cleaning chemical. We had to look for one approved by the EPA just specifically for COVID. All of our staff in the operating room wear N95 masks. Um, they also wear waterproof gowns. Um, when uh, any procedure where the patient's being intubated, the majority of the staff leave the room until the in, in, uh, intubation occurs. Uh, again, to limit exposure to some to COVID that has not been diagnosed, because we do not take active COVID patients here. But we do not know if some have, you know, they're at that pre, pre-stage. So we treat every patient like they they have COVID. We've changed our turnover times because we our air exchanges are 20, um, 20 per minute. We know that um, if we wait 14 minutes, we have basically recleaned the air before the next patient comes in. PACU also has special N95 masks and coverings to prevent any coughing on them, that sort of thing. So those are all new, all new stuff for our staff and how they, you know, bring the patient in for family members. Um, the way our lobby is has been changed to accommodate um, patients getting their temperatures checked upon arrival. We send them to really do a thorough washing of their hands. So those are all new things that are affected with the pandemic. Thank you so much for walking us through that. Look, looking ahead um, to the next 18 to 24 months, do you see a lot of the practices you've just described um, staying in place down the line? We do. Um, the medical director and I, every morning we do a little huddle to discuss the latest research. And we like to try to keep abreast of that to look ahead to see what what's coming up and what we would need to change or modify. But um, we we believe that this isn't going away anytime soon. It's hard to know if there really is going to be a vaccine that quick. And until there's a, a vaccine that has been proven effective, this isn't going away. We're still all going to be wearing masks. Um, and when the patient comes in and, and when they leave and uh, nothing really will change from the pandemic, uh, part, you know, we, um, are just starting doing, uh, automated calls to see at seven days after surgery, 
and 14 days after surgery if they showed any signs of having COVID, um, just to you know keep an eye on were our tests accurate that we took, you know, just to check that that's a new thing we're doing. But we really don't see us doing anything. Um, we keep a larger supply of uh, equipment here and supplies for the simple fact is so many of our vendors run out of things. So we can't just automatically assume we'll get a regular delivery next week. For example, the surgeon caps are suddenly on back order. So they're just using the puffy blue OR hats now. So so we're trying to, if we find surgeon caps, we'll, we'll order more to keep a little extra on the side. So that's a, a new um, new thing we're doing. But uh, yeah, nothing is gonna change, at least not for now. Mm -hmm. And Kathy, a lot of health experts are pointing to the potential of a second wave in the fall, but, but there's doubt that we've even exited the, the primary wave. You've made some great preparations for this already from what you just described. I'd like to hear, what do you think a second spike, if it were to be as substantial as the initial one, how would that affect your surgery center or, or the, the field in general? I think, um, you know, the only thing we probably would go, if, if we do get that second surge like they're talking about, obviously elective surgeries would, would maybe stop again because the hospitals, you know, we rely on the hospital for any patients that are sent emergent, emergently to there and they would not have the space to take any um, really critically ill patients. Um, that's the main thing we'd look at is, again, you know, watching the research every day, uh, making sure we keep the right type of supplies. So right now, one of the things we're working on, if there is a um, second surge, we're looking at trying, we're trying to purchase, they're called PAPRs. PAPR and their personal respiratory machines that each staff member wears, um, and they're kind they're more comfortable than that N95 with the elastic that's like stuck on your face all day. And if this is the true way of the future, we want to keep our staff safe as well. Um, so we're looking at that, but that, that's our main difference. We're looking at Papers um, for our staff if there's a second surge, and ready to, you know, take out any elective cases. But it would really just mimic what we've done already. So I don't think um, a lot would change besides stopping the elective cases and um, watching the hospitals and see if there's room for any transfers. Okay, thanks, Kathy. Really interesting to, to hear your insight there. And there was a lot of discussion, obviously, during the pandemic about what is considered essential surgery. How do you anticipate this discussion will affect specialty surgeries going forward? So we had a, as a team here, we've had a lot of discussion on what is a uro urological essential surgery. And as I said earlier, it's a kidney stone. Um, if you leave too many kidney stones sit there, they can actually cause your kidney to go into failure. So we do need to take that out, so that's essential. Um, we look at uh, tumor, bladder tumors. Um, we look at prostate cancer. 
Uh, we have divided prostate cancer into two levels. The high level, someone that has really high the PSA levels, and uh, we would do a, a, um, a biopsy on those instead of making the patient wait. For the simple fact is you get that diagnosis of cancer, and then you're told, oh, let's sit on that and wait till you know, the pandemic is less. When someone, you have to think about the mental health of so many of our patients. To get a cancer diagnosis and then told you have to wait is just devastating. So we really look at that. Because some patients will say, I'm going to wait till this pandemic is less and then I'll have the biopsy. Where other ones are like, get me in yesterday. So we really listen to the patient's mental health with cancer because whatever they're experiencing, we're trying to make it as appropriate as we can for them and not um, make them wait if they don't have to. We do look at pain as well. Um, there are some, quote, elective procedures. Uh, there's hydrocele, those type of things. But if a patient has true pain, it's pressing on something, we will um, do that for the patient as well. We've also done a surgery on a guy um, whose insurance was going to be canceled the next day. You know, after that, he didn't know when he would have his insurance, so we we had him come in and have the procedure. So we we are we look at everything. We have a, a pre-admission testing nurse here, which a lot of surgery centers don't have, and we do a lot of vetting of the patient before they even walk through the door. We optimize our current patient volume to make sure they're appropriate for a surgery center. We do not want to operate on someone that, that is so sick, we're going to end up transferring them to the hospital. So um, I think that helps. I don't want to, we, we rarely have to transfer, and I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying that, um, a patient to the hospital. But at a time of um, COVID, when you get a second surge, you really have to consider that. So we really um, make sure our patients are optimized and are, are the appropriate patient for a surgery center before we even bring them here. And I think that's why our transfer rate is so low and we're more confident doing um, the more essential cases, knowing they're gonna, we're going to finish the case here, they're going to go home and recover. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your thoughts there on what is a really important discussion. Um, Kathy, I want to switch to um, staffing a little bit here. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear what are the biggest challenges you're, you're seeing today in terms of staffing? How are you meeting the needs that your staff has at the moment? So, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges with staffing, in the beginning, it was keeping them calm and making sure they understood that we wanted to keep everybody safe. And we, for some reason in February, I had this hunch that this pandemic was gonna be bigger than people were saying. And I started to purchase PPE in February before it became an issue. So right away to give most of our staff N95 masks, um, and we had gowns and all those type of things. So we were able to provide appropriate PPE from the beginning, which was such 
a concern for medical and uh, healthcare workers in the hospitals. So that was not an issue for us. So then after we were able to, to prove to them that we were keeping them safe, the next thing was their uh, mental health, um, the stress. We cut our hours down here. So we weren't working late. The last surgery had to start at four o'clock, finished by five so the staff could go home and have family time. We wanted, we, we, we're still strict about that because um, sometimes we would get busy here and work to eight, nine at night and we're not doing it anymore. We're making sure we finish to allow more family time. We encourage vacations um, because everyone needs to get away from here and relax. For the few days that we've had low, um, low, cases, we want the staff to take off. I mean, they're more than welcome to stay and catch up on things that are not related to the patients, but they were encouraged to go home and have a, a relaxing day. We bought lots, a lot of lunches, that sort of thing. Every staff member got a, a bonus this year, just recently, to thank them for working during such a stressful time. I think that was really, really helpful to all of them, but it was, you know, it was constant emails, constant uh, meetings to talk about caring about them, keeping them safe. Here's the latest research. Um, if we couldn't have a meeting, I sent out an email. I printed the email and hung it so everyone could see. You know, we just found out X, Y, and Z about testing, so they knew that. Um, so it, it was important to always keep them up to date with the latest research, uh, giving them virtual hugs through emails. I bought everyone a little COVID warrior pin to wear on their name tag, because even though we didn't see COVID patients here, we were still fighting the fight here on another level. Um, so that you know, that was one of the biggest staffing challenges. I did not lose any employees. Nobody quit. I've actually hired a couple of people during this. So um, it, it, that from that aspect, it's been good, and uh, I'm thankful for that. That's great to hear. It sounds like a, a truly fantastic culture you, you've developed at your center. Um, and Kathy, lastly, before we wrap up, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on growth and physician recruitment. And where do you see the where are the best opportunities for your center in this space today? So, I'm lucky with physician recruitment. Is that each there's about 40 offices with Euro Partners, and the way the center was made, each each of the doctors in the center automatically will get credentialed to operate here. So I really do not need to go out and recruit surgeons. So the office side of it, each office um, will recruit their own doctors and then in turn, um, they get credentialed to operate here. So that is not, because we're a single, you know, single specialty, um, it, it's not an issue. And you know we because we're euro partners, it doesn't mean that every euro partner doctor can will practice here just because of where we're located. I mean we have doctors, we have practices as far south as um, 
Oaklawn up to the border, north, west to Schaumburg, you know, east to the lake. And so for a lot of, of our Europartners patients, this surgery center is not convenient for them. But what's happened though, with some of them, as I said earlier, um, more doctors are like, oh, it isn't a bad community after all, I'll bring my patient there. So that pandemic has helped the surgery center, not necessarily physician recruitment, but surgeons that weren't initially coming because they said, oh, I'm not driving from uh, Northwestern down to displaying that it's not that far and let me give it a try. And then once they get here and realize how efficient we are and that they can do maybe five cases where at the hospital they could do only two, that has uh, played well for us um, for getting more doctors from our whole group to come here. So um, from that end, it's been good. We do try to um, visit the offices um, just so the different offices can meet the staff they talk to on the phone all the time. Because uh, the, the, the physician uh, liaison here who does the scheduling, I like her to meet some of the staff that she talks to. So I try to set up some meetings or bring lunch or breakfast. Now I haven't done that obviously since the pandemic started. But as soon as we feel things are safer, we're going to start that up again. Uh, it's, you know, in my opinion, re relationships mean a lot. And if the offices have good relationships with our staff in the office, it can only help uh, put on more cases here. Absolutely. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your insight today and joining us on the Becker's ASC podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Have a good day.